0: brought to you in part by starcitygames.com not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web they're also the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies for more information visit starcitygames.com hello everyone and welcome to another episode of lords of limited my name is ben warney and joining me on the line is third place in the fandom casters tournament ethan's axe ethan had a chance to play some constructed today and crushed how was it it was fun. It was very
1: stressful. I did not innovate at all. I just stole someone's deck list, 75 cards for 75 cards. Uh, but it worked out. I got to like play against and win against Gabriel Nasif and Alexander Hain, and then get crushed by Carlos Ramau and Brian Gottlieb, um, and get commentated on by Martin Uza. All in all, a pretty good day, Ben. That's super awesome. Have you had a chance to watch your matches yet being commentated? I just went back and started watching the first round, but I luckily was the feature match for all four of my matches so i'm gonna go back and watch all all of them so yeah looking forward to that how
0: was your weekend my weekend was great band crushed again we swept our competition came in first place and won all of the captions damn so off to a good start yeah and you got to stream today finally got to play some magic the gathering which was great yeah i've been squeaking in some drafts i woke up at 7 30 in the morning to play some magic before i went to band all day on saturday wow um, yeah i got a chance to stream for like about seven eight hours today that was the longest i've played magic in one sitting in a while
1: wow that's incredible all right so let's dive right in let's check in on first weekend of
0: the throne of eldraine trophy Leaderboard, where are you at? So both you and I had a chance to play in the Wizards of the Coast early access streamer event. Thank you again to Wizards for that invite. So did several seals over there, had a medium-ish win percentage, probably like somewhere between 50 and 60 percent. Uh did one best of three draft and O2 dropped in that. And on MTGO, I have been crushing. I've done five drafts so far. I'm 13 and 2 with three trophies, 86% win rate for a super small sample size, and I have my sixth draft going right now where I am one and one. Nice, dude. As always here, Ben's got the quality, I've got the quantity.
1: So I've got 12 drafts under my belt on MTGO, 24 and 12, only one trophy, just my solid 2 2-1, 2-1, 2-1, 67% win rate.
0: Sounds like you've had some brutal finals losses though as well.
1: Yeah, I had three drafts on stream yesterday and all three were finals losses. Ouch. Yeah. It's tough. But whatever. I, like It feels like just variance. I feel like you and I are very much on the same page. I feel very confident in what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm making mistakes in the draft or in the gameplay. I just feel like my record is reflecting uh, a little bit of variance in that respect. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to dive into all of our thoughts on Throne of Eldraine for this first week. We've had a chance to do the drafts that we said. Got a chance to be watching a lot of people on stream as well, so we're going to compile all that information that we got from ourselves, from other streamers, and of course, from the Lords of Limited Discord that we're going to talk about in just a second, because we got to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose, and the Discord is just popping. I think we are breaking the format again this week, Ben. We've got a lot of people who are climbing the ranks of the trophy leaderboard, yourself included, and... All of those trophy decks are getting input into the Discord, and then people are talking about card evaluations, talking about their experiences in Sealed, in Draft, in Sealed on Arena, figuring all that stuff out early and getting this format solved. So it's a very exciting place to be. And something, you know, we always talk about the Discord, but something I want to mention here is we've added another stretch goal on the Patreon page. So if you want to head over there and check that out, you can see that we're gearing up to be doing an additional episode per month. That's gonna be additional content that patrons aren't gonna be charged for. And it's gonna give us an opportunity to do a lot of cool things. I have a lot of ideas about what I wanna do for these extra episodes. Of course, maybe some more interviews that we don't often get to fit in in our routines for each set. Uh, Maybe talk about some cube, maybe do some deep dives on like specific decks that maybe don't fit into our weekly plan for the podcast. I have a lot of things that I'm excited about that. So if, if that's something you're interested in and the discord is something you're interested in would highly recommend heading on over to the Patreon. And of course, each and every week, we want to welcome people to the Patreon and to the Discord, and we've got a whole mess of people, so Ben, you're going to have to help me out here in welcoming James, Kevin, Adam, Ronald, Gabriel, Scott, Eric, Alex, Joshua, Derek, Noah, Max, Christian, Martin, Alexander, Evan, Patrick, Kent, Chris, Wesley, Lord Grumbo,
0: Tokyo, Zach, Abram, LGF. Hugh, Jose, Constantine, Alakai, Adrift, Nick, Joseph, Craig. David. Ambrose. And finally, Scott. I'm a little disappointed that there's no wacky name in all that long list of people. Look, people are serious. It's the first week of the format. These are folks who want to
1: solve Throne of Eldraine. Ben, of course, they're serious. It's all business. Thank you all so much for your support. We
0: really, really appreciate it. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. I just want to add again, I think I'm using the Discord the way the Discord's meant to be used myself because I just haven't been able to do a volume of drafts. And I do think my success is due to spending a lot of time in the Discord. I looked at all the trophy decks. I was stuck on the the band bus for two hours one way to ben davis one way back and just was talking to people about the format people whose opinions i respect get big picture card evaluation mtgo deck trophy channels all that stuff i think helped me get off to a hot start yeah that makes total sense the discord is just hot fire Lords of Limited is now proud to be partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of that, we have a gift code for you to get 10% off your order, which pertains to any apparel on their website, not just Lords of Limited merchandise. And that code is L-O-L all caps. Again, that's L-O-L all caps. You can go over there and pick up your hashtag I'm with Ben or hashtag I'm with Ethan shirt. All right, Ben, we're going to
1: save our roundtable discussion for the end of the episode here today, just so we can give a lot of context for what those picks are going to be and maybe enrich that discussion even more. So we've got a ton of stuff in the show notes that I want to get through. Let's start with what you've got here with your general format thoughts.
0: Yeah, I just think this is the most balanced format we've ever had since we started the podcast. And I have no preferences at all. You know, one of the one of my big breakthroughs was Brian Sachs' drafting with preferences episode? And I think that made me a much better drafter. And I do not feel like I wanna to steer towards any archetype in particular. I do feel pretty strongly that I want to try to be monocolored as much as possible. But as far as like any of the certain color pairs or any one monocolored deck, I, I don't care as long as it's the open lane. I think this format is wide open and super deep. I couldn't agree more with
1: you. You know, I kept trying to like figure out, and we'll talk about this later as we talk about what our, you know, re-ranked top 3 commons for each color are, but trying to figure out, you know, where I'm at with those common rankings and then figuring out where I'm at with just like card grades in general. It feels like you're rewarded a lot for having a very strong clear pick order. So you know when you're rewarded for staying in one lane or then hedging into a second color, but it just feels like You know, Ryan Sachs posted about this on Twitter earlier today or yesterday saying that he feels like he's thinking about his mana base from pick one in this format. And I can't really remember a set where that's been the case.
0: I think it's true, though. Yeah. My next thought is that fixing is super scarce. And I think having a good mana base is really, really important. And I think often determines which card you're picking when you have a pick that's close. I think you're supposed to take the one that either makes your mana base better or gives you the most flexibility down the road for determining what your mana base is going to be.
1: 100% agree. I've had some drafts on stream earlier this week where I you know, would first pick uh, bacon into a pie and then second pick have people suggesting Charmed Sleep, the one blue blue claustrophobia effect like tap enchanted creature it doesn't untap. And it's just so hard for me to imagine going one into two there. One, because I'm not, you know, think Charmed sleep is a couple grades worse than bake into a pie. But two, like blue, blue on three and black, black on four is just pretty impossible to imagine in this format.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I think the other thing that I found that's true about this format is that you get super heavily rewarded for finding the open lane. And because there are so many open lanes, it's always possible to find one that's open. And once you do, you just get plenty of playables. So I've been situations like at the end of pack one in my five drafts so far where I've had as few as four playables in any one color at the end of pack one, but I've audibled and I've still comfortably made playables because once you find your archetype, there's so many cards that other people don't want that go in your deck. I think that's the coolest thing about this format is that the payoffs for the decks aren't busted powerful and they only fit that one deck, but they fit so perfectly. So if you find that lane, you're going to get those payoff cards and your deck's going to be very strong. I don't know if you encountered this when you were streaming. Today, but I encountered this a lot from
1: folks coming into chat when I was drafting monocolored or near monocolored decks, and people who didn't read the like WotC release thing about like what they intended, you know, where they said that I think they said two drafters per table should be in a monocolored deck. That was sort of their idea with this format. If you don't know that going into this draft environment, you are going to be behind the curve because you should be looking to get into that deck a good portion of the time because those decks are so. Good when they're open. Uh, but if you aren't looking for those, if you think this is like a normal set where monocolored isn't a thing and like three color is possible, you're going to be in for a world of hurt.
0: I agree. I do think those monocolored decks are some of the strongest decks in the format. And if you're not truly monocolored, being as deep as you can in one color just gives you the best synergy and the most flexibility and the best mana base. The mana bases have been really tough so far in this format. And I think if you get monocolored, you get the benefit of having a very strong deck plus the benefit of having a very good mana base and if you're not monocolored certainly something in the realm of 10 7 or 10 8 or 11 7 is often what you want to get yourself enough colored sources to turn on adamant Mm -hmm. and along with that i do think you know trying to get into monocolored artifacts are just better than normal so cards like scalding cauldron which is the one mana artifact that is three tap deal three damage to target creature that looks like a lot of cards that have been medium before but that's a very good rate and i think the fact that it's an artifact in the set just makes it a lot better similarly golden Egg two mana for the artifact that can trips when it ETBs and you can pay two to sacrifices of food or you can filter mana through it and sacrifice it. Both of those, I think, are just very high picks because they allow you to get good playables and give you more time to figure out what's open.
1: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think Scalding Cauldron is a great example of those like cards that look like bad cards we've seen before but aren't. And there's a lot of those in the set. If you don't follow Quarter Calls on Twitter, you know, he's a big friend of the podcast. He's in our discord. He's one of the people who is racking up a huge trophy rate right now. Um, he's been posting things about like, here are some cards that look like versions of bad cards before, but aren't. And I think Scalding Cauldron is a great example. And I've had a lot of people be like, oh, you like that card? I'm like, this is, it's one mana for a colorless open fire, which was the two in a red instant deal three to a creature from Uh, hour of devastation. And that was like one of the best commons in that set. And this is colorless. And then there's also artifact synergies on top of that. Like this card is great. And not only is it great in game, but it's also great in draft because it adds that flexibility to your decision making process.
0: Right. And I just think all artifacts in general get a slight bump because of monocolor being viable and because of you wanting to find your lane to the the level that you do. Mm -hmm. I agree. And as far as, you know, just depth and replayability, this is on my short list for I think best format of all time already Mm -hmm. it's easily top five for me i can already tell it's just so fun and there's so many build around rares and uncommons that really get there and push you in a direction and i think if you go in the direction that they're pushing you you're going to get rewarded the synergy with a lot of the build arounds is super real and adventure is such an incredible limited mechanic it really is there's so many decisions to make it's hard playing with adventure cards And then as far as, you know, general stuff, we talk about Prince Popper. I think this is Popper. I don't think this is dominated by rares at all. I agree completely. I was thinking about this earlier this week
1: because this is always a question that we ask ourselves in this like, you know, post Crash Course episode. And I think this is a Popper format as well. Sure, there are some bombs that are pretty egregious, like Clackbridge troll chief among them, I would say. But beyond a handful of them, they feel like you can deal with them, mostly because the commons are so pushed, like you've got really good premium removal at common
0: and as far as format speed i don't have much of an idea or an inclination myself it feels like everything is viable i've seen super aggressive decks be very good i've seen controlling decks on my end be super good i've seen mid-range get there it feels like decks all over the spectrum are pretty viable to me the general consensus, because I was asking the discord because I wasn't super sure, seems to be that mono colored aggressive decks are pretty strong and something that you should be aiming for. Have you have you played any of those type of decks? I have. I've drafted a mono white and a mono black deck that were both fairly aggressive. Um,
1: and a lot of my red white decks have been aggressive. I don't think there's like a non aggro red white deck, um, at least that I've seen so far. But that's not to say that there's also not like really good blue control decks or black green grindy value decks like I think there's a full spectrum of speed in this format which is another reason that it seems really deep and really sweet
0: right and but the in those aggressive decks you really get the payoff from those adventure combat tricks as well and that's another reason you really want to try to be mono colored aggressive if you can and then I think the last thing that really stands out for me is that x1s are just totally fine in this format and that was something we sort of looked at going into the crash course with the stats and I do think that bore itself out to be true I think x1s are totally 100% playable and there are not a lot of ways to punish them.
1: Right. X1s are good. And as a result, one threes are a very good stat line, I think. I agree completely. So earlier this week, I started rattling off some like Twitter hot takes as I was getting some experience with the format. And I wanted to sort of go over these here because I think they're pretty worthwhile in terms of explaining. So the first one is and this is a pretty big statement to make. This is an 18 land format in my opinion. Um and so my reasons for backing this up. First of all I want to say that obviously that's not always and I think monocolor decks especially may skew 17 or 16 sometimes, but there are reasons to go 18 lands even in a monocolor deck. My one trophy was a mono blue deck and I played 18 islands in that deck. And reasons are, is that many decks will just basically auto-lose if they don't get to land four or five on time. And I think about the four-drop slot in particular, when you think about like Fierce Wish Stalker, Bake Into a Pie, Outmuscle as some of the best commons, and then all the quadruple hybrid cost cards at uncommon that are pretty powerful, and again, very powerful. I feel like those are even more incentives to be monocolored than they are cards for that particular color pair but all those cards are really powerful and then once you get up to five mana you get even more of those like that's where the meat and potatoes of the power of stuff you can do is in this format and i think if you can't get there on time if you stumble you're gonna have a hard time winning those games
0: yeah that makes sense to me i have played an even mix of 17 and 18 i think i don't think i've gone 16 yet
1: yeah i Don't know if I have either. Um, I think Adamant also is a reason for 18 lands because it skews your mana base more towards wanting 11 sources for your main color than 10. But then unless your deck is that kind of deck we talked about where you're like deep in one color and then like lightly touching another color that you don't want to go as few as six sources for your secondary color. So then you're often going to 11, seven rather than 11, six. And also if you want your Adamant lands to be turned on and more on those common Adamant lands later. Uh, And the last point I have here for Lands is that adventures and card draw and filtering at common means you'll have places to put mana, right? There's not a lot of mana sinks, but there are a lot of places to draw cards, to filter cards, and adventures, you know, if when you're in like those deep white-green, white-red adventure decks, even white-black, you're often really playing like... 27 28 29 spells in your deck you're gonna have places to put mana every single turn
0: yeah i do agree i have felt a lot of very mana hungry decks i the other reason i think that i haven't played 16 lands yet i've had a couple aggressive decks that i think would have wanted 16 lands but i just couldn't because of colored sources because i wasn't able to get deep into one color and if you don't in an aggressive deck like if you're just white red split evenly your mana is tough and i think leads to some game losses like i had a white red deck that on power level was good enough to trophy but i just lost to mana issues i think because i had too many white white and red red cards in the same deck without enough sources of each to really function yeah that makes sense number two on this
1: list is something that i just talked about with one three being a good stat line and that we'll get to when we get to our re-rankings of the top commons but curious pair is green's number three common and i feel pretty confident about that, which is crazy because when I first looked at this card, I was like, all right, well, here's an adventure that I don't want to play. So this is the one on a green for a one three with flavor text. But the adventure part is treats to share, which is a single green for make a food token. And just the stat line of a two mana one three and the fact that green decks just like want food and there's not really a lot of places to just get free food from. This card has really exceeded my expectations.
0: I agree. Card has felt great. I played it in a couple decks today and I was very happy with it. My third
1: take from the week was that white has a very deep roster of commons, but honestly, a lot of the colors do, but white is definitely not the worst color this time around. And I think people were really ready. I would say yourself included to write white off at the start of the format.
0: Oh, I absolutely am guilty of that hundred percent.
1: And I think, you know, With people coming from M20 and War of the Spark and even Modern Horizons where white was just like consistently underperforming, I think people were ready to just be like, all right, white's got to suck again. But I think you can really get about eight or nine commons deep and still be at C grade level cards. I think this is due largely to the amount of adventures at common, making it powerful. And I got to say, Trapped in the Tower is better than we thought. I I still have it as only the second best behind Ardenvale Tactician, but I would give it a C plus grade now.
0: I agree. Card is begrudgingly good.
1: (laughs) And the last point that I uh, tweeted out this week is that revenge of Ravens is busted. So this is the three in a black enchantment uncommon that says whenever a creature an opponent controls attacks you, they lose one life and you gain one life. And so this is for each instance of a creature. And it's so funny. So. Earlier this week, Pascal Maynard tweeted out like his rankings of commons, and he had this at sort of like a D-grade level. I know LSV gave this a 1.5 out of 5 on the Channel Fireball scale, and I think they sort of like walked that back on the LR review, but I think there's a lot of people who are just ready to think that this card looks bad because it looks, again, like versions of cards we've seen before, or maybe it looks like ill-gotten inheritance, which was good, but this card is out of control. It's really not reasonable to play unlimited because it makes racing really hard. It basically make, means that one power creatures can't attack. Two power creatures attacking are neutral. You have to have a three power attacker to like be able to gain some traction. And then at a certain point with life gain not being very prevalent in this format outside of food tokens, you just can't attack your opponent because Ravens is going to kill you.
0: It's like moat for your opponent. It's like a targeted yep. moat at uncommon.
1: And it makes you start to think about the game like many turns in advance because you're like, okay, how do I race this? Because I know that at a certain point I have to stop attacking and I'm just going to lose. It neuters whole strategies like blue-red. If you have improbable alliance and you're trying to win by making a bunch of 1-1s, guess what? Revenge of Ravens just shuts that plan down
0: completely. Absolutely. I want to take a quick detour back to the white thing being bad. Mm-hmm. I, I just think like all of the colors are so playable here. I honestly think blue might be the worst if I had to pick one just because there's no standout commons in blue, but blue so deep. I just want to reiterate how wide open and balanced I think this format is. I just think that's such a defining feature of it. And I don't think we've had that in anything since we've started the podcast.
1: I totally, totally agree. And I think we've seen this before in Blue where Blue's commons always feel situational. I think we've done this before where we're like, this is the number one and then the rest depends. And that feels kind of weak to do sometimes because I feel like people are looking for that kind of list from us. People love pick order lists and we talk about how important they are and people like tier lists. And I just don't feel like I feel comfortable doing that because it depends what archetype I'm in and also it depends what my deck needs at that time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree.
1: Some other thoughts that I have to piggyback on your general format thoughts. Um, I think going in, I was really expecting knights to be very prevalent in terms of a creature type that mattered because, you know, it's a third of the creatures at common and uncommon and all of the three, you know, Mardu gold uncommon creatures or the equipment steel claw lance that we're very high on really want you to have a critical mass of knights As a creature type, it hasn't felt like it's mattered as much as I thought it would. Going all in on the few payoffs that exist has felt fine, but not great. And I would say Bell of the Brawl, which is the two and a black three-two with Menace that when it attacks gives other attacking knights plus one plus oh, and Steel Claw Lance, the equipment that we've been very high on, black-red for an equipment, uh, gives equipped creature plus two plus two, one to equip to a knight, three to equip to any other creature. I think those are like the two best payoffs for nights, but it's felt more incidental than it's felt like a, I'm doing the thing. I'm going all in on nights.
0: Right. They're a pocket of synergy rather than a synergy.
1: Yeah. Base blue mill decks seem very real.
0: That's got to make you happy, Ben. You love to mill people out. I'm super happy. I am super unhappy that I haven't been able to get into blue yet, but I am very much looking forward to milling someone out with mono blue mill with the merfolk that mills for and run away together to bounce it back into my hand and just live the dream yeah i think that deck is most at home as blue
1: red or blue black but i've also seen mono blue with just like you catch them all with the merfolk and i think unless they do something to the bots that this is going to be the like heart piercer bow menace of arena until they fix something
0: yeah absolutely agree and playing on arena is going to be a huge drag if merfolk secret keeper isn't a high pick for the bots
1: um so just to chat quickly about monocolor decks which we've already we think are very, very real. And as we said, Watsi thinks that like one to two drafts at the table are supposed to be monocolor. In my first nine drafts, I was monocolored in three of them. So that sort of matches up to that. But again, small sample size. I faced two mono green decks in the early access arena event that were very strong. I haven't gotten to draft this deck myself. Um, And I'm also on the lookout for the flavors of this deck. And I don't know if you've seen this or if you think this is real, but there seems to be this like hyper aggro green deck with three cards in particular, and they're all at common. The first is Wildwood Tracker, which is single green for a 1-1 elf warrior. When it attacks or blocks, if you control another non-human creature, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So sort of like a one mana two two at common. There's Rosethorn Halberd, which is the single green equipment that auto equips to a non-human creature when it enters the battlefield. Equipped creature gets plus two plus one, and then has an equipped cost of five. And then there's Merrily Fryder at common, which is just one and a green for a three one. And you can also sacrifice a food to make target creature block it this turn of April. And I didn't quite realize this, but like if you have three food and your opponent has three creatures, you can just make All three of them have to block this. And then, oh snap, it's like a lure. It's a lure. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. That's good to know. So, so I think there's this like hyper aggro mono green deck floating around that I'm curious to draft, but I've seen just like good mono green decks. I've seen mono blue be mill strategy with a bunch of merfolk. My only trophy was with mono blue, and that had four Vantress Paladins, which is the three and a blue 2-2 flyer. But if you pay adamant for it, it gets a plus and plus one counter on it. So just like four mana 3-3 flyer in my mono blue deck. There's just like a lot of different flavors, even of these mono colored decks, which is wild to think of.
0: Yeah, I, I am very excited by the depth of this format. So circling back to that green aggro deck, I haven't played mono green aggro, but I had a very good green white aggro beatdown deck that had a lot of those same cards. Other cards that were great in that deck were Flutter Fox, the one in a white 2-2 that gets oh. flying as long as you control an artifact or enchantment. That card is just like better than Gustwalker, right? Yeah, it's so easy to turn on. It's real good. And then the other one that was great at the top of the curve was Two Inveil Treefolk, which has the adventure of three and a green, put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. That enables so many attacks. And then if you get two for one, you don't care because you've still got a 6-5 coming behind it. hmm
1: Yeah, I-, I just think it's so funny like even that thing which looks like kind of clunky even curious pair which just looks so unimpactful adventures are great in limited they're all good maybe they're not all full two for ones but they're at least like one and a half for ones and that's a really great rate to get for a lot of cards at common i agree so we're going to talk about this i think next week because i think Monocolored is such a huge piece of this format And it's something we've not seen, at least certainly in the lifetime of our podcast, where we've talked about how to draft these decks and what sort of considerations to make for them. So I think we may be diving into these fully next week. But just to sort of float these out there for your first drafts, for your, I guess not your pre-releases, but for your first weeks on Arena and MTGO and in paper, that the type of considerations that we've talked about for bot drafting in terms of getting deeper into one color in pack one is going to apply to this format a lot, I think. Would you agree to that? Yes, absolutely. I think it's important to have a strong pick order in your mind so you know when a card is worth dipping into that second color for and when it's worth taking a slight hidden power level to stay flexible and to stay one color. And because here especially, not only do you have benefits of staying one color so that then, hey, if I open a bomb in pack two, I can then be my main color plus that, but also you have this maximum benefit of staying monocolored pack one to then end the draft as a mono deck
0: right which i think those have been the strongest decks from what i've seen and i think if you get deep into one color you know we're talking about how to do that two color pips on a card is a real cost in this format versus one color pip because if you start like for example say with a good card like scorching Dragonfire, and then you end up deep in blue you can still play your scorching Dragonfire off of three red sources and have a heavy base blue deck but if you have a red red card it's a lot more difficult to do that yes moving on to some cards that we've had a chance to play with specifically in the rare section let's take first a look at emery lurker of the lock this is two and a blue for a one two legendary merfolk wizard costs one less to cast for each artifact you control when it enters the battlefield put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard and then you can tap choose target artifact card in your graveyard and you can cast that this turn this card looked not great to me i don't think i would have ever put it in my deck or drafted it until my opponent cast it the first time against me and it is really good, specifically in tandem with something like Scalding Cauldron, cool. which is the artifact deal three. You can just reuse that every turn if you want to. It mills. So it's going to give you some card selection for artifacts in your graveyard. Potentially, it's very powerful. Any artifact creature you can continually chump with recast card does a lot and also i think there's something deceptive about just like the stats of it being a three mana one
1: two but very rarely is that what you're casting it for when you build your deck properly like when you get to just go scalding cauldron on turn one and then emery on turn two because it's cheaper for each artifact you control And then you crack the cauldron on three, and then you can recast it on four. Like this card is very strong and is a very powerful build around.
0: Next up, point for you in the point territory, (laughs) folio of fancies. I think this card really gets there as a build around. I think this pushes into the B plus, A minus level build around in the right deck. So this is one and a blue for an artifact. Players have no maximum
1: hand size. XX tap, each player draws X cards, and two and a blue tap. Each opponent puts a number of cards equal to the number of cards in their hand from the top of their library into their graveyard. And I think... A valid concern i mean you talked me down from my initial grade in the crash course on this card was that you were concerned like hey you can't go like this on two and then activate it on three if your opponent's like curving out on you but the times when your opponent doesn't do that like this just wins the
0: game in like what three turns four turns yeah very short order yeah. and i think you put it in tandem with cards like so tiny in your deck that are cheap removal that's going to trade up on mana versus your opponent's threats It's it's really does get there. It was so fun getting to watch
1: you play with fires of invention during this streamer early access event on Tuesday. That was the most
0: happy I've been in quite a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a kid in a candy store. So I do think fires of invention is real. Have I convinced you that it's real? Oh, 100%. I mean, like it's a blue red
1: build around, but I definitely was like, hey, this card is really, really strong and you're really doing it. Now, there were times where you had it in play and you weren't able to like recoup the card disadvantage but most of the time it was very impressive.
0: So Fires Mention is three and a red for an enchantment. You can only cast spells during your turn, and you can cast no more than two spells each turn. You may cast spells with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control without paying their mana costs. So this essentially just doubles your mana on your turn. And when you cast this on four, you get to play another spell. So you don't lose tempo the turn that you cast it. And then if you, heaven forbid, have activated abilities to use also, in addition to playing your two free spells, you can sometimes triple your mana. So if you can get card draw spells with this, I also think there's a... A very real black red card draw deck and I do think this could be a black red gold card as well interesting yeah I, there
1: is a lot of velocity in black red especially at common so that makes sense to me Next up on this list, this is a little contentious. I think you and I have had different encounters with this rare. This is Vantress Gargoyle. It's one in a blue for a 5-4 artifact creature with flying. It can't attack unless defending player has seven or more cards in their graveyard, and it can't block unless you have four or more cards in hand, but it can tap to have each player put the top card of their library into their graveyard. So I had this in my, my mono blue trophy deck, and I found it pretty awkward. Maybe it's very good if you've got you know like the merfolk to help mill your opponent but without assistance to help mill this doesn't attack for a very long time and it stops
0: being able to block pretty quickly yeah i haven't encountered it yet it just looks very powerful to me so i will take your word for it that it's awkward i think you gotta build around it i think you can't just jam it in any deck that makes sense to me next one on this list is wildborn preserver i had a chance to play with this today and I think it's a lot better than I thought it was. This is one and a green for the 2-2 Elf Archer with Flash and Reach. And whenever another non-human creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay X when you do put X plus one plus one counters on Wildborn Preserver. There's just a lot more ways than I would have given credit for to put creatures into play that are not humans for very little or no mana in the format specifically like the cat that uh comes back when you sacrifice a food token had a wombo combo with that the sorcerer's Broom you can pay three to make a two one broom there's just multiple ways to trigger this for very little mana and then just turn it into a gigantic threat i had it in a red green deck with dwarven mine
1: the adamant common land that makes a one one for free and then i just paid five mana to put counters on it Ooh, that sounds nice And last on this list of rares we want to talk about is Midnight Clock, which is two and a blue for an artifact. You tap to add blue mana. You can pay two and a blue to put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. At the beginning of each upkeep, you put an hour counter on Midnight Clock. And then when the twelfth hour counter is put on it, shuffle your hand and graveyard into your library, then draw seven cards and exile Midnight Clock. I don't even think this is like a build around or anything. This is just good. Like, remember, this is just a three mana mana rock in a base blue deck or a mono blue deck and it's a mana sink, and you get a counter on it each upkeep, not just on yours, and it pops off when the 12th counter is put on, not, like, at the beginning of your upkeep, if there are 12 or more counters on it. Like, all of those, like, little nuances for this card make it much better than, I think, versions of this or, like, Dirtily cards like this that we've seen in the past.
0: Yeah, card is just rock solid. Next into movers up for us. First one is Archon of Absolution. So you weren't quite convinced on this card, and I think you've come up on it.
1: Yeah, this card is busted. Three and a white for a 3 2 flyer. Pro white, creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. Y- you just nailed this 100%. And I'm, it did not take, <laughs> it took seeing this on the battlefield like for half a turn for me to go, yep, I get it. And this card's a very high pick. I would, give it a B, maybe even B plus status.
0: Next up is Shepherd of the Flock. This is an adventure card. Single white to return target permanent you control to your hand and one and a white for a 3-1. Split duality on this card is just awesome. The ability to blank your opponent's removal spell for single white is super easy to hold up and the 3-1 body is very relevant. Yeah, you you often talk about like
1: warm fuzzy feelings and magic a lot. When you get to hold up the adventure part of this, Usher to Safety... You feel all warm and fuzzy. You're like, you can't do anything to me. I can just bounce this. And heaven forbid you're bouncing an adventure with this to then rebuy the spell part. It's just pure
0: value. Ooh, delicious.
1: Next up, another point for Ben Elite Headhunter. This is the Brachdos Hybrid Uncommon. So it's four Rakdos mana for a two, three human knight with Menace and it has three Rakdos mana. Sack another creature or an artifact. It deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker. Like this doesn't have great stats, but it's still really good. And the threat of activation for this makes things very awkward. And if you build around it properly, like if you're a mono black and you have. Uh, a lot of food tokens around i think that's where it's at its best and once i started figuring out that these hybrid cars were more for monocolored decks than they were for the two colored decks that they represent i think i just got a lot higher on them in general
0: i agree if that's one of the main benefits of getting into a mono deck is that you have four chances yeah. to get an absolutely busted uncommon potentially on the wheel
1: and they're almost all great. Like, I think the Selesny one is kind of bad, but even that is probably just fine in a deck that can cast it.
0: Yep. Next up is Brimstone Trebuchet, Lords of Limited preview card, Tuna Red for the 1 3 with Defender and Reach. And you can tap to deal one damage to an opponent. And whenever a knight enters the battlefield under your control, you can untap a brimstone trebuchet.
1: I just want to remind people this has reach because I punted twice with this card this week. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and I have said like every time I'm like, this card has reached, this card has reach, And then I'm like, well, I can't block a flyer this turn. <laughs> like, oh,
0: that's too bad. Just remember.
1: Just remember, people.
0: Speaking of punts, I told Amaz I would shout this out on the podcast. So we talked about already that fairy guide mother can make trapped in a tower fall off. Uh huh. and I. Definitely had my creature trapped in a tower and I drew my fairy guide mother and missed lethal because I cast it on my other creature because I forgot that I could knock off Ooh. trapped in a tower.
1: I, I gotta tell you, this is my best fairy guide mother story so far is that I knocked off the trapped in a tower that was on my creature, which was the only artifact or enchantment for my opponent's flutter fox. So it grounded their flutter fox as well.
0: Oh, savage. Yeah. Fairy Guide Mother's a good card. Are you a believer of that card yet? I'm a believer. I have it as number four behind Flutter Fox. Yep, me too. Speaking of, next on our list, Flutter Fox himself, one and a white for the two-two, gets flying whenever you have an artifact or an enchantment. This card is real
1: good. How did we like just kind of gloss over this card? It's fantastic. I thought about putting it in my top white commons and then I talked myself out of it because it wasn't a knight. Yeah, that's the thing is like I look at it and I'm like, well, you don't have relevant creature types and like... I don't know how good the white blue deck is, though I have seen a very good control version of the white blue deck uh, on my opponent's side of the battlefield, but just Flutter Fox has just great stats and it's not hard to make it flying at all.
0: No, it's not a blue white card. It's a white card that's very good. Yep.
1: Yep. Next up, I've got Raging Redcap. This is two in red for a one-two goblin knight with double strike. I want to add this to the list of cards that look like bad cards we've seen before, but this is not one of those cards. There are a lot of ways, and I think part of the reason is because of the adventure combat tricks in red and white. There's a lot of ways to augment this creature's power and for like very little cost to your deck, and that makes this a real scary threat to see on the other side of the battlefield.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I've been, you know, fine to play this in my deck. I think it's a C.
1: Yeah, I agree. But like, I feel like I could have been like, this is a D plus.
0: This card doesn't look good at all. Right. Gingerbrute is next on this list. I've been seeing some hype about this guy and I'm wondering if you can break him. I haven't seen him on the battlefield yet and I have not cast him myself. I know Alpha Frog was trying to break it. I've seen some tweets from him. What's <laughs> Gingerbrute? So Gingerbrute is a single red for a 1-1 food golem with
1: haste. You can pay one to have Gingerbrute not be able to be blocked this turn, except by creatures with haste. And you can also pay two and tap sacrifice it to gain three life. So it is a food token itself, but then also as a one mana, one, one. The flavor on this card is just 10 out of 10. Can't catch me on the gingerbread man, etc., etc. But like this card is situationally good, but it's better than I thought. I sort of wrote this off, but there are applications for this. I think the fact that like red green has a bunch of stuff that cares about non-creatures. I think the fact that equipment exists I also think the fact that this synergizes in decks that care about food, there's just a lot of little things where this card is like, oh, you could slot in here, and then you're also an evasive threat. Like, if I care about getting in for three or four points of damage, you can probably do that.
0: Right. Next on the list, speaking of cards that look like other cards that have been bad before and are not, Jousting Dummy, this is two mana for the 2-1 artifact, and you can pay three to give it plus one, plus oh. And not only is it that, it's a knight as well. So I think this card is just totally fine playable i don't think you should be embarrassed to put a jousting dummy in your deck i agree next up we've got covetous
1: urge you got point for ethan on this cards what's covetous urge
0: yeah i'm a believer this is oh yeah set me up there you this is <laughs> demir 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 for a sorcery you look at your opponent's hand and choose an on-land card from it or you can look at their graveyard and choose a non land card from their graveyard if you do you exile it and then you can spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it yourself I had only took this card getting cast against me once before I was like, all right, yeah, Ethan was right. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I agree. I think this card's great.
1: And then here's, an, here's a card that you're pretty high on. This is Barrow Witches. Four and a black for a 3-4 Human Warlock at common. When it enters the battlefield, return target Knight card from your graveyard to your hand.
0: Yeah, this card is just rock solid. 3-4 Gravedigger is big stats. You're only paying one more mana for a 3-4 Gravedigger. And assuming you've got Knights in your deck, this is really good. And I think most black decks have a fair amount of Knights running around. And then it's really backbreaking in tandem with, what is it, Midnight Reaper? Is that the Flying Gravedigger? Order of Midnight, yeah order of midnight i was so close <laughs> uh so it can rebuy that which just then builds all these loops i think this card is really strong in a lot of black decks yeah i agree i've liked this card a lot next up is foreboding fruit this is two and a black for the sorcery target player draws two cards and loses two life if you have adamant to be cast triple black to cast it you make a food token to recoup that life i've already lost to this card being cast to target
1: me When I've been at two or one life. Ooh, bad beats. Yeah. So thanks a lot, wizards, for templating this in the way you used to rather than the way we've recently been accustomed to it. But yeah, this this card, I haven't really had a chance to play with a ton. You said you've really been actively liking this.
0: Yeah, I've wanted a lot of copies of it at times and I haven't been able to pick them up. I do think there's a black red card draw deck where you use foreboding fruit and also, you know, the the wicked witch, the 4-2 draw card. And mm-hmm. I think that gives you enough velocity to really get there on a black red draw two cards a turn style deck as well. Interesting. And I think this is just a good card. Like making the food token is great for artifact synergies if you want to chuck artifacts at things. I just think, divination is pretty good in a control deck in this format and foreboding fruit i think gets there mm-hmm. and i think especially if you have it
1: in a mono black deck being able to just recoup that life loss with a food token is pretty big game
0: also goes very well with the two one life linker on curve like if you can attack with that you rebuy your two life right there with the two one life linker we might as well talk about that card Next, Smitten
1: Swordmaster is so good. I mean, it's an adventure, so of course it's good. One of the black for a 2-1 with lifelink. And Curry Favor, single black sorcery. We've talked about this now three weeks in a row. You gain X life, and each opponent loses X life, where X is the number of knights you control.
0: Yeah, this card is rock solid. Alex has this as his third best black common. I think I might be going there very soon. Yeah, maybe.
1: I could see that for sure. Yeah, this card is great. I don't think that's any news to anybody, but if you don't think it's great, it's great.
0: It's child of night with a lot of upside in a format where two ones have good stats
1: and it has a relevant creature type. Even though we said that, like, knights isn't the thing you want to build around, it still matters that it's a knight.
0: Tome Raider is up next. This is two and a blue for the 1-1 flyer. When ETBs, you draw a card. This just slots perfectly into the blue-red card draw deck, and it's just good in blue decks in general. It's a speed bump against X-1s, that cantrips. This card is very annoying, and despite the fact that it has one less power than Cloud can steer, still very good. Vantress
1: Paladin is three and a blue for a 2-2 with flying, and it has adamant if at least three blue mana is spent to cast it. You put a plus-plus-one counter on it when it enters the battlefield. 4-mana 3-3 three, three Flyer is a big game. If you're like 11 islands or more, I think this card is a really good pick for your deck.
0: Yeah, I think it moves up in a C-plus territory as soon as you're going to reliably have Adamant. Yes. We talked about the Rose Throne, Halberd, tree folk, Green aggro deck. I just have had some great experiences with that, especially in tandem with flutter fox. so those cards are on this list as well.
1: And the last card on this list of our movers up is another card that looks like a bad version of a card we've seen before but isn't, Weaselback... Red cap is a single red for a 1 1 Goblin Knight, and you can pay one in a red to give it plus two plus o oh, until end of turn. Yeah, this card is just
0: rock solid. Late in the game, it trades up with three, four, five drops. Early, it gets in for one, two, three points of damage. It's just a big threat. I was facing like a Twin Veil Tree Folk
1: on my side against a Weaselback Red Cap on my opponent's side, and I was like, cool i can't ever attack while they have four mana open
0: (laughs) right it's a one drop that stays relevant well into the late game yeah
1: and in a format i think again the reason why it's good in this format is there just aren't ways to punish x ones like sure there are one threes so it makes a little awkward for your opponent to attack but they leave them back on blocks and then you just can't attack on the ground when they're holding up mana it's uh it's pretty flexible Movers
0: down. First one on this list is Joust. I haven't had a chance to play with or against this yet. What's wrong with Joust?
1: So the problem with Joust, which is one and a red for a sorcery, uh, it's like a fight spell. But if the creature on your side of the fight is a knight, it gets plus two, plus one until end of turn is that the knights are kind of small. And so you have to have a critical mass of knights for this to be good, because otherwise, as we know in the past, a fight spell that does not boost power and toughness is not powerful. So you have to have a lot of knights. So maybe it needs to be a build around card, but even then, a lot of the knights are small. So like you're turning your 2-2 two, two into a 4-3, and that's still not fighting a lot of stuff effectively. Like really the best thing to do with this i found is with the double striker, is like you pick off a 2-2, and then you crack in for six. That's the dream scenario with this card so far. That's not a very big dream scenario. So from a card that I was like, this is like a good removal spell in red, maybe. I'm pretty down on this card. I would give this maybe like a C.
0: Alright, fair enough. Next on the list is Queen of Ice. This is two and a blue for the two three. Has the adventure that you can cast for one and a blue to tap something down and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. And then when Queen of Ice blocks something, you tap that creature and it doesn't untap during its next controller's untap step. I mean you've kind of nailed this in our crash course as like clunky Frostlings. Yeah, hasn't been very impressive.
1: And it doesn't f- Feel like it has a particular home. I mean, as we'll get to later, or maybe I'll preview this right now is that we don't really have a clear pick order for blues cards because they're also situational, but this just feels like it's filler. Like it feels below replacement level to me at the moment. I agree. Last on this list is the adamant lands. Big point for Ben here. I was super high on these and I've walked back my grade pretty significantly. So all the common lands that are the basic land types, they come into play tapped unless you control three of those basic land types. I think that the biggest part about this that I didn't take into account is that the enter the battlefield tapped portion is a pretty big cost, especially in this format where I think board presence is really important. I think like one or two of these is totally fine. Like, you know, I played a lot of them randomly, like, hey, I have a nine nine mana base and I'm going to throw like one of each in or I've got an 11 seven mana base and I'm going to throw one or two of these in. Like, that's totally fine, but you don't need to pick them highly. I don't think you need to prioritize them very well. And I would also say my current Top one is the white one, the one that puts a plus plus one counter on a creature, because that has an immediate impact on the game, whereas the rest sort of have a delay. Like even the green one, maybe, might be the second best that makes a food token.
0: I'm all about the green one.
1: The blue and the black one that top a creature or a spell are like cute, but the delay of that effect doesn't feel great in this format where there's a lot of immediate impact that you want to have on the board.
0: And then quickly got a list of cards you aren't picking highly enough. Scalding Cauldron, that artifact that does three damage, Golden Egg. Cantrips, fixes your mana, keeps you open. Sorcerer's Broom in tandem. So, Sorcerer's Broom is the two mana, two one artifact that whenever you sacrifice a permanent, you can pay three and make a copy of it. That in tandem with Cauldron Familiar, which is the one one cat and Witch's Oven, which is tap, sacrifice a creature, make a food token. If its toughness was more than three, make two food tokens. Those three things are such a wombo combo engine that is really powerful, and you need to be on the lookout for that, especially in green-black food decks. I actually had a, a near mono green food deck that took advantage of that and was splashing for the Cauldron Familiar Cat and was well worth the splash. Yeah, I really want to
1: assemble that combo. I just haven't gotten to do so yet.
0: Uh, And the last one is Sir Conrad. I keep seeing this card go fourth, fifth, sixth, three black, black for the five, four. And whenever a card does anything associated with your graveyard, it deals one damage to an opponent and has one and a black, mill two card a mill a card from each opponent which essentially is one and a black deal a damage to an opponent mm-hmm. and so your life total is like a one what are those cards called the aristocrats like you're like blood artist or zulaport cutthroat yeah it's like a it's like a blood artist on a 5-4 body it's just ridiculous
1: yep that card is super powerful it keeps going up for me all right that's going to bring us to re-ranking our commons for each color so in white we're in agreement ben we've got flutter fox at number three trapped in the tower at number two and one of my favorite cards I in Ardenvale Tactician which is the one white white 2 3 flyer but it has an adventure dizzying swoop which is one on a white to for an instant to tap to up to two target creatures.
0: Yeah, I keep playing aggressive decks which is like not super comfortable territory for me. I mean, I can do it, but I'm not I'm much more comfortable piloting a mid-ranger or control deck and I keep thinking how am I going to win the game? And then I draw Ardenvale Tactician and I'm like, "Oh, winning the game's super easy." It's so funny because like we've seen that dizzying swoop as a spell by itself
1: before in many formats and it's never good but hey when you tack it onto a three mana two three flyer suddenly that effect becomes pretty desirable yeah it's busted in half
0: blue i don't even think we're gonna attempt to rank if we did i think we'd have Runaway together three tome raider two and Charm Sleep, which is the claustrophobia effect at number one. But I don't even feel very confident in that at all. And everything is very flat in power level and so context-dependent deck to deck and what your mana base is looking like and what you're trying to accomplish. Like. Maybe Vantress Paladin gets better when you're closer to being mono blue or are mono blue.
1: And like, so tiny is very good when you're in a control deck or a mill deck. And maybe the Merfolk is there. Like, there's just too many things. Yeah, I don't think blue's commons are powerful, like, on their own in the way that a lot of other cards are in the set. But they're very synergistic. And you'll know when you want certain ones over certain other ones
0: moving on to black we got some differences of opinion here i'm still not settled on my number three black comment i'm going to say barrow which is for right now which is the grave digger Costs five mana, but I, I'm not. I assume that's likely to change, and I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I could see smitten swordmaster as you said. Quarter calls currently. I have malevolent
1: noble, which is the one in a black two two, and you can pay two to sack an artifact or a creature to put a plus one plus one counter on it. But yeah, I'm not sold on that.
0: And we're a bit different on one and two here. You've still got bacon do a pie one and reeve soul two. So bacon to a pie has the two black black destroy target creature make a food token at instant speed, and reeve soul is the one in a black sorcery destroy target creature power three or less. I've got Reeves Soul number 1 because I think the the black black on Bacon to a Pie is a really steep cost to pay at the start of their draft. I do think ultimately if you're in black heavily, Bacon to a Pie is more powerful than Reeves Soul, but I think I'm taking Reeves Soul over Bacon to a Pie early because of flexibility because later on if I get deep into red or whatever, I can still splash Reeves Soul and have a very good mana base. That makes sense. So here's
1: my deal is that I felt like I got burned in one of my decks, where I had like three Scalding Cauldrons and two Grief Souls, and I had no way to deal with big green things, um, so maybe I just have a little PTSD from that situation. But I'm gonna stick with Bacon to a Pie number one. But I think that after Bacon to a Pie number one, I want Grief Soul one and two next that makes sense in red we've got merchant of the veil at number three this is the two and a red two three human and you can pay two and a red you don't have to tap it you just pay two and a red to discard a card if you do you draw a card it's also an adventure the adventure is haggle single red for an instant you may discard a card if you do draw a card and then we've got searing barrage the four and a red Deal five at instant speed and adamant. If you have pay three red to cast it, you deal three to that creature's controller. And number one, scorching dragon fire, one in a red for an instant, deal three to target creature or planeswalker. If the creature would die, it gets exiled instead.
0: Also, have an honorable mention there for rimrock knight. That's the one in a red for the three one knight that can't block and then has the adventurer single red. Target creature gets plus two plus zero until end of turn at instant speed.
1: Can we just talk for a second? How cool. It is that this format is a format where Rimrock Knight is a very good card, and so is like the Merfolk Mill card.
0: Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's very sweet.
0: This format is deep and like that's not even getting into all the the rares and uncommons that push you in directions to build a deck.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: I think I think the most interesting thing about it is that the the you know, we have these common rankings, but the pick orders of cards changes drastically once you start drafting your deck.
1: Like immediately, like after the first card, I think your pick order is changing.
0: Yep. Moving on to green, we're very close in agreement here. Number three, we're both on curious pair, the one three that makes a food token. I've got out muscle as number one and fierce witch stalker as number two. Out muscle is the three and a green fight spell. And if you have adamant, you gain it gains indestructible in ton of turn and you also put a plus one plus one counter on your creature regardless so hunt the weak and then if you have adamant it makes your creature indestructible and fierce switch stalker is the two green green for the four four with trample and when it etbs you make a food token so i haven't had a chance to play with
1: green almost at all i've only been red green once in my 12 drafts and otherwise i haven't played green and i've heard a lot of people who are high on green like nikolai bolas who's one of our discord members and who's also a streamer on twitch and makes youtube content he's pretty high on Outmuscle, and I think he has that as the best green common. Can you talk to me about why that is? Because I'm willing to believe it. It's just
0: hard because Fierce Witchstalker is insane to me. I think green decks, the green beatdown decks where Outmuscle is really insane, I think Fierce Witchstalker might be like a little too slow. I think you already have the threats you need to kill your opponent, and then Outmuscle just puts the slams the door shut on your opponent when you cast that on turn Mm -hmm. four i think there's some really aggressive green decks out there and the adamant on out muscle is very real being able to trade with something that's even and give it indestructible after you put the plus one plus one counter on there is big game
1: i agree i have felt like the adamant on the card has been way more relevant than i expected it to be so i'm gonna keep a lookout on that and also there may be something to be said again about like it being single green versus double green as being a better card like the, the same reason you're talking about Reevesoul being better than bacon to a pie but I'm not quite there yet, but I need some. I just need some reps. Very cool. And I think we're going to take a look at one of your drafts here for the round table. Yeah. Okay. So in pack one, you see the following cards as options. I think this pick really comes down to two cards here. There's bacon to a pie as the best common in the pack. You know, there's a Rimrock Knight, but there's not really much else to consider. And then an uncommon, we've got Heraldic Banner. That's the three mana artifact. As is that ETBs, you choose a color. Creatures you control the chosen color get plus one, plus O, and you can tap it to add one mana mana of the chosen color there's giant opportunity two and a green for a sorcery you can sack two foods if you do make a seven seven giant creature token otherwise you make three food tokens there's cauldron familiar single black for a one one cat when it enters the battlefield each opponent loses one life and you gain one life and you can sack a food to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield and your rare is love struck beast i got a chance to play with this a lot in my jund adventures deck today in standard uh it's two and a green for a five five can't attack unless you control a one-one creature, but its adventure part is Heart's Desire, single green, create a one-one human creature token.
0: Yeah, I think this is a close pick. I think ultimately it comes down to Lovestruck Beast versus Bacon to a Pie, yeah. and I think I would land on Lovestruck Beast as just an awesome threat on turn three.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it was about the draft, but I maybe wasn't feeling as adventurous. I like knew what Bacon to a pie was going to do and it's going to be great all the time and love struck beast i was like is is this good is this great like this was at a time i think like you know it's so interesting how things have changed this is it's sunday i think even just on friday i was like eh, green's like kind of the worst color. Do I really want to get into green for this Lovestruck Beast? But now I'm sort of coming around to all the colors being
0: even. That's what, that I would have my first draft taken bacon to a pie for exactly that reason. I would have said I wouldn't have wanted to have been green, mm-hmm. but after playing the format, I'm just in for whatever.
1: Yeah, I think so. So
0: I grab bacon to a
1: pie here and I move on to pack two, where your best common is Ardenvale Tactician, the one white, white, two, three flyer. And it has Dizzying Swoop, the adventure to tap up to two target creatures. And you've got some, gold signpost cards here at uncommon steel claw lance black red for the equipment equipped creature gets plus two plus two if you equip a knight it costs one if you equip anything else it costs three inspiring veteran is red white for a 2-2 human knight other knights you control get plus one plus one and there's also another adventure hypnotic sprite blue blue for a 2-1 with flying and its adventure is mesmeric glare which is two and a blue for an instant counter target spell with cmc three or less
0: yeah i think after love struck beast i would have followed it up with tactician here as the best card in the pack that i could reasonably play alongside my love struck beast Mm -hmm. Um, I would imagine after baking into a pie, you took Steelclaw Lance here.
1: Yeah, for sure. I was very happy about Steelclaw Lance. And then moving on to the next pack, it starts to get a little dicey because there's really not anything good in black. You've got a Witch's Cottage. That's the black Adamant Land. I'm certainly not taking that here. There's Reaper of Night, which is the black adventure for a four five for seven mana that when it attacks, if your opponent has two or fewer cards, it gains flying until end of turn, and it has uh, sort of an overcrosted mind rot as the adventure. Aside from that, in this pack, you know, again, if you were doing things there's a giant opportunity which is a green the green uncommon that we had from our first pack and then there's emberth Shieldbreaker, which is one i read for a two one human knight adventure battle display a single red destroy target artifact at sorcery speed
0: yeah that's a slam dunk for you having steel claw lance and murder and i think still the pick for me just to stay open that card has been very 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 impressive so far yeah
1: moving on to pack one pick four Another doozy here. So no good red cards. There's Embryth Paladin is the only one. Three and a red for a four one with haste. Uh, if you paid adamant for it, it gets a plus one plus one counter on it. I have not liked that card. Um, the only black card is Giant Skewer. The one in a black equipment equipped creature gets plus two plus one. Whenever it deals damage to a creature, you create a food token with an equipped cost of three. And I think the best card in the pack is Flutter Fox, which is one and a white for the 2-2. As long as you control an artifact or enchantment, it has flying.
0: Yep, I agree. That's the best card in the pack. And that's what I would have landed on here. That's what you took as well, right?
1: Yes, that is what I took as well. Pack one, pick five. We see a little bit of a boost in power level here. I think it comes down to Outmuscle, the Hunt the Weak card with Adamant and our Uncommon is red cap melee, single red for an instant. It deals four to target creature or planeswalker. If a non-red permanent is dealt damage this way, you sack a land.
0: Yeah, having the Lovestruck beast in my pile, I think makes Outmuscle the pick for me. And the route you've taken so far with the primarily black red route, I think red cap melee is the pick.
1: Yeah, and so like I've gone black card into black red card, into red card, into white card, into red card. But I think red cap melee, this is way too late for red cap melee in my opinion. I, have you played with her against this card yet?
0: Yes, I've played with it. It's very good. Yeah, it's great. And I think, you know, what we were talking about with pick quarters changing, just based on our first pick, you and I have taken completely different routes through this draft. Yep. Which is pretty wild. Pack one, pick six,
1: see the following cards as options. There's a Tome Raider, the two and a blue one one flyer that ETBs draws a card. There's the Rimrock Knight, the one on a red three one that can't block. And it has an adventure boulder rush instant single red target creature gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. And I'd say those are probably the two best cards in the pack.
0: Yeah, I think I would be pretty sad here. I guess not. I would probably take Rally for the Throne, which is two and a white instant create two one one white human creature tokens. Adamant, if you cast it for triple white, uh, you gain one life for each creature you control. I think Rimrock Knight is a super clear pick for the route you've taken through the draft.
1: Yeah, so the pack rounds out with pick seven i grab a silver flame squire which is the one and a white two one human soldier again it's got an adventure combat trick on alert two and a white instant target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn and you untap it and then golden egg just like random two mana colorless cantripper Uh, a red cap raiders two and a red for a three two goblin warrior when it attacks You can tap an untapped non-human creature you control if you do. It gets plus one, plus one, and gains trample until end of turn. Another point for you. This card has been pretty solid. It's fine. I think it's a C. Yeah, agree. And then pack one, pick 10. I was pretty surprised. Inspiring veteran wield the red-white 2-2 human knight. Other knights you control get plus one, plus one.
0: Yeah, I would have slammed this here for me and for you. And I think this is the type of thing you're looking for in this format. Wheeling this is a huge signal that red-white is an open lane. And I think you're supposed to pivot here for it.
1: Yeah. And it wasn't that hard of a pivot for me. Like, as you recall, like I had the bacon to a pie, and then I had stew a claw lance, and I hadn't seen a black card since. So I was pretty happy to see this.
0: And it's funny that both you and I took very different routes through the draft. But I think once we get to this point, both you and I end up on the same deck. Yes, 100%. All
1: right. Well, that is the path that I took. I did end up in red, white in that deck as I have a lot. It's pretty off brand for me, Ben. I've been red, white like four times.
0: I've been red, white twice already in six
1: drafts. I think, I mean, again, it's, it's only day four, but I think People are too low on white right now. I see Flutter Foxes and Fairy Guide Mothers going like 12th and 13th pick.
0: I agree. There is still some some white hangover from the last few sets, and I think we're going to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, for as long as we can. And you too, listeners should be taking advantage of it
0: all right that's a great place to wrap us up i cannot wait to talk more throne of Eldrain. this format is awesome looking forward to seeing you next week thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you
1: give that a listen you can check us out on twitch and twitter ben was just streaming today twitch.tv slash mr metronome for him twitch.tv slash lord tupperware for me i promise i won't be playing any standard again anytime soon you can check us out on those same usernames on twitter and you can also tweet at the podcast at lords of limited
0: if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions shoot us an email at lords at gmail.com
1: thank you so much. Much for listening. Good luck in your first week of Throne of Bell Drain Drafts, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Breaking the format again this week, Ben. We've got a lot of people who are crushing the trophy leaderboard. Who are just spilling all of their... Nope. What do I? Want to say? <laughs>
0: uh. <laughs> you were on a roll there. I was feeling it, and then it just slowly petered out and died.